0: This is Fiona Cuthbertson coming from the pod to record another episode of Off the Cuth. This week we're lucky enough to have Andre Skeppel. Andre is an entrepreneur focused on pursuing transformative change in the educational landscape to help those that need it most. To achieve this, he combines his understanding that all young people with special educational needs and disabilities need a tailored educational experience, with using science to create prompt and precise solutions that can be used to drive standards in educational provision. Welcome, Andre.
1: Vienna, absolute pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much for this opportunity to have a chit-chat.
0: Firstly, can you tell us a bit about your career and how you ended up committing your time to help those with special educational needs get the education they deserve?
1: Absolutely. So I think it's fair to say that I've had a fairly colourful experience. My story begins like this. I was a late developer, started walking and speaking around the age of two, and this was the late 80s. The knowledge that professionals have in regards to conditions like dyspraxia and dyslexia and other neurodevelopmental conditions, they weren't really forthright So effectively, they put me into a nursery specified for children with learning disabilities. Up until when I turned around three, three and a half, when my development basically picked up, they're like, oh, okay. We're gonna do an IQ test. My IQ was 120, and I'm like, yeah, we're gonna put you into mainstream provision. During my time in primary school, I was also privileged to be in a supplementary school for Afro Caribbean children that I sat at school in South London. And during that time, despite speech and language difficulties and other conditions that were yet to be discovered, my experiences during education. Were me being an overachiever in primary school, me doing very well in secondary school. I was actually expected to go and study a medical degree at Top Ross University. And so what then happened was that at age 16, going into post-16 education, my supplementary school education had ended, going to this new realm of doing A-levels and struggled. I struggled badly. I failed in all but one of my A-levels, which happened to be computing science. And attempted to read my A levels uh, about three times until I was able to get into my degree course through clearing with the hope of eventually going into postgraduate medicine if I could do, get my degree. I then realized at the second year of university that I was diagnosed uh, being dyspraxic and dyslexic. Well, it took me five years to get my diagnosis. How many other young people, particularly those from marginalized backgrounds, have actually had the opportunity to be identified being dyspraxic or dyslexic or having autism or ADHD? And then it, it, it led me into this conundrum that I started to really uncover and realize, wow, and there's a lot of young people out there that have a rough ride in regards to getting the right educational support. That's when I realized I've got two options. I could either be an advocate for diversity and inclusion, Well, then I said to myself, no, I've got great ambitions to that. I want to try to make change at the very top. And the best way of making change at the very top is to come up with some sort of technological solution improving the lives and the educational outcomes of those like me that are not left behind. How do we use my background in science and my background in diagnostics, which is what I end up specialising in in my master's uh, within medical microbiology in terms of detecting disease and then subsequently working within that profession for a good number of years. So, well, I'm working in this profession where I'm working with big pharma companies, research institutions, the top universities in the world and developing platforms that improve diagnostic insight for clinical researchers and those that work in drug discovery. How do we adopt that in education? How do we include diagnostic loops and insight and big data and artificial intelligence to bring a personalized curriculum precision decision learning? And so I had all these ideas and I was frustrated in not really getting the opportunities within my workplace. and I ended up meeting a civil servant at the Department of Education. And in this conversation, when I was going through my insights and my experiences, the civil servant said, We are struggling at the department, we are struggling to arrest the decline and the issues and concerns at the national level regarding SEND. If you can develop a solution, a software solution that can improve the identification, support, and the subsequent interventions beyond it, not only would this be a major opportunity to arrest an area that the department are struggling to tackle, but also there'll be significant elements of funding available for this type of market being opened. That was in 2017. And so a year later, I then formed Full Spectrum and then since then been researching and developing this concept of an AI-driven personalized curriculum. In a matter of weeks, we'll have the world's first decentralized neural network designed to provide not only a personalized curriculum, but to provide the first digital neuroinclusion service for children, young people, and, and adults with all types of conditions that are commonly left behind in a land environment.
0: It's incredible the change that you are spearheading here and it's so important because the statistics are really stark for those with special educational needs. Less than half of autistic children say that they're happy in school. 73% of autistic children say that their teachers don't understand their needs. Only 20% achieve grade 5 or above in English and Maths GCSEs compared to 52% of all children. Only 22% of adults with autism in the UK are in full paid employment and know stats show that those with employment who are autistic are on average paid 33.5% less than a non-neurodiverse colleague. So what do you think is the key to reversing these terrible trends?
1: One of the key things that we tend to do is put things in boxes. And when we put things in boxes, we put people in boxes. And what tends to happen is that you instantly marginalise them. It's the execution of it as a one-size-fits-all element. I it's not what's working. In fact, it's quite destructive because we, we cannot put people in either the same category without embracing differences it's like well it's too much of an effort to have so this is what's causing this disparity and that widening gap is what's alluding to all these horrific numbers so this is where the work that we do to challenge policy is what I'm you know really encouraging
0: So, yes, you mentioned your technical advances. 2024 is also going to be an exciting one for policy change. We've been working with Duncan Baker together on his 10-minute rule bill to make it mandatory for teachers to be trained in identifying autism before they go into the classroom. And we have a date now. It's going to be presented on the 30th of January in the House of Commons. But it has been a long journey to get to this point. So why is it so important?
1: True change can only come through impacting on policy. The process that we have done and the experiences that I've been privileged to be a part of, this is how it works, but it's progressive. And I think what we have done is very diligently start to put together the framework. If you train all teachers to have the same areas of competency to identify and support neurodivergent people in the classroom, you can then start to layer up better structure of knowledge of how to make the teaching more relevant and much more appropriate to their backgrounds.
0: And coming back to the point that we're trying to make, which is that autism needs to be diagnosed and identified much earlier. What do you think is a common myth about young people with special educational needs that needs to be dispelled?
1: The common myth about young people with SEND is the ability of you can't. Using the term disabled, which basically if you break it down, is we are without the ability to perform... Um, various topics. So if you again, it's like what I said in the beginning, if you put us in that category of you can't, then immediately you displace any prospects of accomplishment or attainment or progression. And therefore you either be, you know, satisfied with being stagnant or you regress. And this is what's again the culture that is out there and it's endemic and it's a culture that needs to be radically changed. If you look at the mainstream, if you look at the standardised approach to how education was formulated, essentially what you have is we have one way of learning, one way of teaching. If you don't fit within these elements, then you can't succeed. If you look at someone like myself, I've been told I can't all the time. I've been told I can't do this, I can't do that. I've been given barriers and hurdles every single point, even without the knowledge of me being dyspraxic and dyslexic. My identification of being another virgin actually empowered me to say, well, I understand my weaknesses, but I'm also aware of my strengths. And so it's not a case of I can't go from here to here and I can't go through this pathway. My pathway is this. It may take a longer route to get there, but not only will I eventually get there, based on the route that I go through, I have additional experiences that can be mandated as additional skills that you collate around the way young people ascend if you put them in the right environment and they thrive they are the innovators they are the developers they are the leaders of tomorrow and so it's time to understand the myths and tackle them forthright but through conversations like this
0: and do you think that the ministry and the department engages enough with those on the coalface to ensure the plans they have actually work
1: the intention is there there is an intention to listen to voices and to get things right and to try to beyond and into the coalface itself but the issue that i find is that the insight that policymakers and those in government have effectively is very limited and it inhibits them to basically approach the democracy of thought in the right way it becomes a box ticking exercise The demographic of those that are leading these conversations may not resemble the communities that are in the coalface. And so therefore that discord then inhibits the right insights and information and then subsequently the right areas of change. So this is where I feel what the ministry and department need to do is they need to diversify their approaches in working with those at the community level. We marvel our society as being as inclusive as anyone else in the West and it's completely you knowing Britain is open and you know, we've got all these communities that are very much cosmopolitan and diverse. If we as communities we don't feel like we are part of that change, then holistic, inclusive change is not going to happen. So we have to be we have to be in a room, we have to be included. Otherwise, it, it, the people are not silly. They're not stupid. They can see what's going on. They can see elements of tokenism.
0: So if you were Secretary of State for Education, what would be the first thing that you would change in order to achieve that?
1: The first thing that I'll do is demystify the process of policy reform. I would invite more thought provokers to come and to advise. Rather than work with the same people and the same specialists, actually have people empower teachers, empower parents, empower community groups at the ground level and fund PhDs or masters or even like dissertations where students can go and actually fundamentally contribute to the area of research by working with the communities within proximity to them.
0: And what other issues facing young people with special educational needs don't get the coverage it deserves?
1: When we talk about issues in SEN, not really led by people that look and sound like me. And so what you tend to find is that we've got a very monolithic perspective into the areas of policy. It's a black box in terms of how to make change. Other people that may fit in my demographic don't really understand or don't really see the accessibility to do this. Assessment batteries are developed with a very monolithic view of testing. It's tested on white boys. It's not tested on wider populations. So let's look at in terms of diversifying how assessment is done so that there's a greater uh, area of insight into how we are determining markers of concern related to neurodivergence or neurodivermental conditions. And also, there's an issue in terms of the, the teaching. Teachers and should resemble all the, the students that are involved with in the curriculum. When I was going through education, I was in a supplemental school for African-American pupils. Going through that experience where the teachers on a Saturday looked like me, they came from similar backgrounds, the people around me were like that. Because I was in an environment that empowered me and was very much tailored to my self-identity, but also I felt comfortable and I felt connected into the subject matter. So we have to look at the area of senders being holistic. Don't try to fit everything in one box and embrace technology. We are human. We cannot see and know everything and process things 24-7-365. When you work with technology and apply it in the right way, it can be a very powerful and impactful tool to ensure that we can do our jobs better as teachers, as care workers, as policymakers, and most importantly, as parents to help pathfind our children in the right ways to success.
0: You talk about holistic solutions. How much of that will be sorted out through this bill?
1: It enables conversation so for those that are training for those that are comparing their knowledge bases and in the school body and the teaching staff rooms and sort of comparing notes in terms of how they approach this or you know this condition so and so forth you then like i said build much more holistic knowledge bases because again you can see the application started to evolve and also you got to remember as i said earlier there's no straight line you know every child will have their own unique curve of development and so with the interactions they have with teachers that have now been endowed with additional knowledge and training that this bill governs, then you are a part of their journey. I was, when I was working at a school last month and I was speaking to the deputy head teacher. Um, he was also the designated safeguarding. Lead. And one of the things that we spoke about put forward is that teachers are not trying to be the best friends or the mates of the children's class. What they should be is pathfinders. If you don't have the tools, to understand the destination of where a person, whether if they're young or old, needs to go, then you can't direct them to the right way. So if you're given the knowledge of how to navigate it and also understand the parameters of where that person is coming from and therefore where they would want to go or where you feel they should be going, you're there just to steer them in the right direction. If they're of course, you put them back on course. This bill enables teachers to be elite pathfinders
0: Talking of teachers, we first met through Frances Akindi, who is the head teacher of a special school, and it is down to her introduction that has allowed us to actually undertake this work. How important has your conversations with her and other head teachers like her been in ensuring that you get your messages across?
1: It's been fundamental. Being a former scientist and coming from a background of research, one of the elements of my character as a professional and as an individual is that I don't know everything and should nor should I ever profess myself to know everything and nor should I be arrogant enough to feel like I don't need to speak to anybody else to query or to build my intrigue so speaking to wonderful people like Francis and others like that I get such exclusive insight into the profession from their perspectives and from multiple perspectives that then govern me having much more advanced thoughts and opinions and innovations that tailor all those areas but also as a a leader of a technology company they are wonderful reference points to tweak and tailor whether if we're going in the right way the best part when i was working in a school in hackney was i got to have conversations with as many teachers as possible and bring into my world you know say like this is what i'm doing this is my approach what do you think do you think i'm doing the right thing and every single teacher, bar none, has seen it as a breath refresher. Even talking about this bill to teachers, not a single teacher has had issues towards it. One cried. One actually burst into tears in, in relief because they say, I just want to, this, this is what we need. This is, this, is, this is part of it.
0: So coming back to the fact that whilst you're an entrepreneur, you don't believe that you know everything. What is the most important lesson you've learned over your career?
1: The principle of collective work responsibility is definitely something that I would implore anyone in policymaking, anyone in the ministry or in the department, as a way to implement true change. Because we don't all have the answers, but if you actually broaden out to a whole bunch of people around you, then you can get some real momentum.
0: And where can people go to learn more about you and Full Spectrum?
1: So you can find us online. So our website is www.fullspectrum.co.uk and it's Full Spectrum spelt with a K, not a C. You can also search me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I'm on in pretty much all the socials and you can follow our journey. And also with those listening, we are now gearing up towards a very ambitious pilot. So we're looking at working with schools, multi community trusts, colleges but also local authorities any nhs integrated commissioning boards and also charities and any social enterprise or company that actually wants to be a part of a very ambitious project where our ai platform will finally be ready to go and to be tested to prove the concept of how we can actually get this to work and to build personalized curricula so anyone that's interested please find us online please find me reach out and let's see if we can work together
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Andre, very much for coming to talk to us today and telling us about your fascinating and innovative new plans to help people get the education they deserve. And thank you for the listeners who hopefully enjoyed the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. If you have any questions regarding the podcast today, please feel free to comment. If you think it's worth coming back, please like and subscribe. If you feel you need something to tide you over to the next podcast, please buy my book Party Games on Amazon. And on that note, I'll see you next time. Have a good week, one and all.